Welcome Doug Smith, Grammy Award-winning musician, helping to lead us in worship this morning. The peace of Christ be with you. Let's stand and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially if you're visiting here. We're very glad that you're here with us this morning. We're glad to see Gary and Laurie Kalman here from Kenya this morning. There must be a USC graduation this weekend. Aha, yeah. Uh -huh, yeah. Great to have you here. There's a friendship pad that's next to the center aisle. We'd love to have you take it and fill it out and let us know that you're here with us today. Pass it down the row and then pass it back to the center. We have an adult education class this morning at 10 o'clock, Responding to God's Mercy, as seen in the story of Les Miserables. This is part two of that. If you missed part one, it's not a problem. You can catch up, especially if I bet you know the story of Les Miserables. It's a great exploration of mercy in that story, and that's being led by Mike Regal. Also, you'll see that there's a way that you can participate in Nepal earthquake relief through World Vision or through Presbyterian Disaster Awareness. As you leave this morning, there are strips of green paper at the doors that suggest items that you might bring to help replenish the food pantry. May is our month to do that. So it, if you can be creative and bring something besides what's on the strip, but that's a place that you might want to start for an idea. Next Sunday morning, we have a, a very unusual adult education class by Cordula Dick Mulkey. I've heard her speak. She is a wonderful expert in older adults, in aging. And as part of our parish nurse program, she comes to us to talk to us about some of the documents that one needs at the end of one's life. Um, this sounds like, oh yeah, that's easy to fill those out. Many people tell me when you hear someone talk about the pulse and the five wishes, you find out, ah, I didn't know that making that choice would mean this or making this other choice would mean something else. So she will explain that and help, help walk us through that, whether that's for yourself or for a loved one, you'll probably want to be a part of that next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock in the parlor. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. We center ourselves in the God who has come to us in our Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us, to reconcile us, to fill us with the life of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we pray that you will be glorified in all of our music, in all of our words, in all of our fellowship here. Strengthen us, build us up, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, anoint us, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Join me in the responsive call to worship. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My, my soul, soul is like the weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. 
And all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt us in due time. Let us cast all our anxiety on him, because he cares for us.
so church we sing the story of God's love this morning sing a new song unto the Lord the psalmist says we're gonna sing all creatures of our God and King I want you to hear the melody before we stand and sing it it's on your music insert Thank you. 
Jesus was with his disciples going up to Jerusalem and told them that he would be killed and after three days rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? They answered, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Let us pray. Gracious and gentle and condescending God, God of peace, Father of mercy, God of all comfort, we confess to you the evil of our hearts. We acknowledge that we are much more inclined toward anger, jealousy, and revenge, and toward ambition and pride. We see how easily this gives rise to discord and bitter feelings between others and us. O long-suffering Father, too often we both offended you and grieved you. Forgive us and permit us to partake of the blessing you've promised the peacemakers, who shall be called the children of God. Hear now the silent confessions of our hearts. Hear the good news. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are assured there is no sin so terrible that God cannot forgive, no hurt so terrible that God cannot heal. God accepts, God forgives, and God sets free. Brothers and sisters in Christ, receive the forgiving love of God.
two passages of Scripture this morning, Romans chapter 12, Paul's word to the church as to how we are to live with one another, uh, how we are to live out our discipleship in service to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of the most important words that Paul ever wrote, I think. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And in verse 9, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Eugene Peterson translates, be good friends who love deeply, practice playing second fiddle. Practice playing second fiddle. Philippians 2, Paul founded the church in Philippi on his second missionary journey. And his words to that church that had come into difficult times in which there was conflict between the members of the church who had helped him establish the church. Paul wrote these words, Philippians 2.1. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
All of them are seeking their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know. How like a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will soon also come. Still, I think it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy and honor such people because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are sovereign Lord. And you have modeled for us what it means to be created in the image of God and how to learn to love and to serve one another for the sake of building up the community. Now we ask that your Holy Spirit will bring illumination to your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Every time Talladega Nights plays on the television, I watch it, at least certain parts of it. I've never gotten over that sweet baby Jesus thing. Story of Ricky Bobby and Cal, the NASCAR drivers. It's very clear who's number one in that team of NASCAR drivers. It's Ricky Bobby. And he keeps reminding his partner, Cal, who always promises to have his back and to cut off any other driver who might be a threat to Ricky Bobby winning the race. All that was good and fine until Ricky Bobby began to lose races. And then Cal flipped. And rather than playing second fiddle to Ricky Bobby and support, he turned against him, stole his wife, and began to win himself. Now, that's a friend for you, isn't it? I loved it how they would look at each other and hit their knuckles together and say, shake and bake. You know, a sign of commitment to the friendship of loyalty and trust. What a different kind of story that story is than the one that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote in The Lord of the Rings when he told the story of Frodo and Sam, the hobbits. 
who were given a mission in Middle Earth to carry a ring of power that was a threat to them and to the destruction of the world. They accepted the quest, but it was a long, arduous journey. Frodo was prepared to go by himself, but Sam would not let him. So they journeyed on together in this quest. Along the way, Frodo decided that he would leave Sam behind if Sam had not sought him out and insisted on going forward and supporting him and playing second fiddle to him and loving him in every way that Frodo needed, the mission, the quest would have failed. In fact, when they finally got to the Mount, the Mount Doom, the only place where the ring of power could be destroyed, it was Sam that carried Frodo up the mountain that allowed him to get to the place where even he wavered. before the ring was carried into the abyss of fire by Gollum. It's one of the most powerful stories of loyalty and friendship, of mutual servanthood that there is in any literature. One writer writing about the gospel in in Tolkien, a gospel according to Tolkien, said that Sam realized the words of Jesus, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And it was a friendship like Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. Their hearts were bonded together. It was a friendship like the Apostle Paul and Timothy, of whom we read. It was that kind of loyal, committed servant friendship that made it possible for the church in Philippi to be planted in the first place. Paul went there, and those who heard him preach came together, and they knew that he proclaimed Jesus as Savior and Lord, for which he was beaten and thrown into prison and chased out of town. But now, several years later, he has heard the news from Philippi that the pride of self-interest has broken out in that congregation, that two of the people who helped him found the church, the first church in Europe, were in such conflict, and it was so much rooted in personality that they could not get along, and it was permeating the congregation and ultimately would destroy the church unless they were able to rediscover each other and be reconciled. Not an uncommon issue in the church. And certainly not in our larger world. The argument, the appeal that the Apostle Paul makes to that struggling young congregation in Philippi is deeply rooted in the theology of Jesus Christ who is at the very center of God's revelation of himself. And this is where the church begins in its understanding of its mission in the world. In response to God's love, we are called to be a Christ-centered community, our mission statement says. And what that says is that we are committed to the lifestyle of Jesus. As we work out our discipleship, who did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but rather emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, 
and became obedient unto death, even death upon the cross. One might have expected that Jesus would insist on playing first fiddle rather than second. But just the opposite. The glory of the majesty of the holy God became known to humanity by the one who chose the way of downward mobility and who poured out his life on behalf of those whom he served. Therefore, God raised him up, gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus played second fiddle to the will of God on behalf of his brothers and sisters who in an amazing way, throughout their call in the Gospels, argued amongst themselves as to which one of them was the greatest. Who came to Jesus asking him, when you come into your glory, when you arrive in Jerusalem and you're elected the Messiah, let it be known that we've backed the right horse by allowing us to sit to the left and to the right of you in your kingdom. That's human nature. That's the spirit of Ricky Bobby and Cal. And Jesus said, that's the way the Gentiles live. They're great men, they're benefactors, lorded over them, but not so with you. Let me ask you, who's the greatest? The one who sits at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at table? But I am among you as one who serves. Simon Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about because he had been tempted from the beginning when the devil took him up to the high pinnacle of the mountain and showed him all the kingdoms and power of the glory and said, I can show you how to be a successful Messiah. Never forget, Jesus, you live then as we live now in the big me generation where it's me, it's mine, it's mine. And the dictator of my culture says, assert your ambition, climb to the top of the ladder, If you're not number one, you're last. And that temptation came back to Jesus when he was on the cross. When those who were putting him to death said, if you're the son of God, prove it by coming down from the cross and we will believe you. But there he hung according to the will of God as one who poured out his life. What the Apostle Paul does on the basis of that understanding of Jesus, he says, have this mind among you that was in Christ Jesus. Look out for the interest of others and not just yourself. If there's any compassion, any experience of love, any connection with reality, get in touch with the spirit of the kingdom of God, which is mutual servanthood. Be friends who love deeply and practice playing 
second fiddle. After all, if there's not a good second fiddle, there's no good harmony. And then Paul presented several examples of what he was talking about. He talked about Timothy. One of the most touching words, a word of recommendation to a fellow in the ministry with him that there is anywhere. I mean, I can't imagine writing a more powerful recommendation letter for anyone. A fellow missionary, Timothy. Paul says about him, I have no one like him. Everyone else is seeking their own interest and not the interest of Christ. He's been like a son to me, and I have fathered to him. And I've grown to trust him. The truth is, in our time, the great thing that the church has lost across the nation is trust. Trust in one another as brothers and sisters. Our whole society is riddled with mistrust. We live in a gotcha generation, the big me generation. We ask, what's in it for me? And how can this promote my dossier, my values there? The claim of the gospel and the example of Jesus models for us the kind of people that God is calling us to be. And so it was with Timothy Paul trusted him. He was prepared to be alone in prison in Rome without Timothy to send him back to his beloved community in Philippi. He spoke of Epaphroditus. Not many of us have known an Epaphroditus. But he named him as, as a fellow servant, as a brother, as a fellow soldier in the Lord who had represented Philippi with Paul in Rome, taking care of him, serving Paul on behalf of the church. And in the process, he'd risk his own life so much that he had grown ill and nearly died. And Paul said, God's mercy shined upon me and did not compound my sorrow by losing him. He's gotten well, and I want to send him back to you. When you see him, I want you to rejoice in seeing you, and I want you to honor that man, for he risked his life for the sake of Christ. He was willing to pour out his life for the kingdom of God. In chapter 3, the text that we did not read, Paul's own personal testimony about himself. He said, when I met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, it changed the whole goal of my life. I was climbing the ladder of upper mobility toward ecclesiastical success, but Christ intervened and claimed me and forgave me of my sins. Therefore, the central pursuit of my life has come to know Jesus Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Not that I've attained this, but one thing I do, I press on toward the call of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to know him. And that is the central pursuit of my life. I think Paul had the awareness that he was probably not going to destroy the ring of power in his own lifetime. 
but he's willing to surrender his life in order to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. A second fiddle to so many and to Christ. When I start thinking about those who've played second fiddle in my life, it's not a put down. There's so many that I could talk about. Can't talk about everyone. But there's some who I want to name this morning. Paul named some. It's appropriate for the preacher to name some. At the top of my list is my wife. Quiet woman. Lady of great fun who's brought such stimulation to my life, I will be eternally grateful. But I know that there are so many things I could have never done if it weren't for Kay. Covering the bases. Not just looking after her own interests, but after mine. (laughs) And the cause of the church. My son... He was in the first hour this morning, and I joke with him how many times we have laughed together about all those Saturday evenings when Dad was in the garage practicing his sermon. Now he comes with his two boys to listen to Dad preach. Second fiddle? Surely. but a child of God who's learning what it means to be a servant. I think of my colleagues on the staff of this church, Steve and Kathy. From time to time, Steve sends me a text message with a picture of Ricky Bobby and Cal. And we, our messages cross. My response to that is shake and bake. You've been drinking too much Mountain Dew. And with Kathy, we've grown to know each other and to love each other and to trust one another. And I'm able to do this because I know these look after not just their own interests, but the interest of Jesus Christ. They are servants. I think of my sister Beth here. Most of you don't know that she is the backbone of our worship development in the church and our planning every week. Without her, surely worship would not be what it is in this congregation. Along with this, over the years, she's been a nanny to another pastor's family, helping them raise their two kids, pastor at the Irvine Presbyterian Church, Mark Roberts. And a week or two ago, Mark wrote a blog. And he talked about Beth, sort of a surrogate mother, if you will, with his kids. And those kids have grown up, both students at Harvard, And Beth, in many ways, took the natural gifts that they possessed from their parents along with the gifts parents gave them in so many other ways 
And Beth has been responsible for that. I mean, there's a lot of hiddenness in the service of the church that we do not know anything about. We're grateful to you, Beth. And Linda, and our praise band, the lay leaders in this congregation, you think about this. What is the church? I mean, it's a building standing here on the corner, but basically the church is people. The people of God who have come to know Jesus Christ and are seeking to work out their discipleship in serving one another. Learning to love deeply and to play second fiddle. You've laughed with us. You've cried with us. You've given money for the financial support of the mission of this church. And I believe that Jesus Christ has been exalted and his light has shined into this community because of who you are. All these second fiddles, there are no first fiddles in many ways. We're all second fiddles. And you've allowed me in many different ways to love my brothers and sisters in the service of the larger church and to seek to be a witness to the gospel and to the truth of God's word. I'm so grateful for that. So we move forward together. This last week, the Pew Research published its findings about religion in America. And institutional religion in America is not doing so well, either Protestant or Catholic. One struggles to know exactly what numbers mean in these polls, but many are saying about the Presbyterian Church USA is that we got about 15 more years. I don't know about that, but I know that's not true of us. We have a great future here in Laguna Beach as faithful witnesses, as those who seek to wash one another's feet and to love one another, to stand for the truth and to be open toward the brokenness and suffering of humanity. We're in a movement in history that began in the first century when there was no church scattered synagogues throughout the empire. But out of apostles and prophets and their witness, the church came into being and has been what it has been. And the future of the kingdom of God is not yet told, but it is in God's hands. And we are grateful and in humility we give ourselves to the work of building up and of serving one another. Be friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. The spirit of that word has the power to transform the world. And I trust it.
like I trust you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand with me and let's affirm our faith. Paul's words written to Philippi in the Christ hymn. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
You have blessed us, O oh God, with the gift of human friendship. And we thank you for friends who love us, who laugh with us in celebration, who bear our pain, who need us as we need them, who hold us when words fail, and who give us the freedom to be ourselves. Hear the names of some of these friends for whom we are thankful as we speak them aloud before you. Lord, look with compassion on the whole human family. Break down the walls that separate us. Surround with your love people here and around the world who are looking and longing for someone to care. Shelter those who are surrounded by death and devastation in Nepal, in Syria, in Yemen. The refugees desperate for a safe home. All in the area of Philadelphia who are affected by the train derailment. All who find themselves in the path of tornadoes this week. We pray to that you'll heal and restore all who are ill or grieving. Hear their names as we speak those aloud before you. And if today we might be the means by which you answer the prayer of another, may your spirit find us neither deaf nor defiant, but keen to do your purpose. Use us and these gifts that we bring to do the work of your kingdom even as we pray for the day when your kingdom comes in its fullness, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing song is called The Servant Song. It's one of the very first songs I learned as a Christian. You'll find the music there on the bulletin. May these words be true for us as we sing them together as the church. Sing together. Won't you let me be your servant?
Thanks be to God. Go forth, joy of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.